We are taking a long, extended look at who Jesus is. And so that is how we're going to spend 2020. And if you are new here, then I want you to come along on this journey with us because it's going to be shaping. We're not looking at Jesus simply to know more about him. We're not looking at him just to be able to answer more facts about him. We believe that if we look at Jesus, something will become transforming inside of us. That we will start to look more like him in a powerful way as he works the transformation. To help us on our journey, we're using the Gospel of Luke uh, to do this right now. And we've got scripture journals available. And many of you, I see you already carrying them in. If you haven't had a chance to grab one of these, um, grab one. They're on the table out in the foyer. And we want you to have one of these as you go along with this. Because we are still early in this. You have not missed uh, most of the movie yet. And so this is a great chance. If you've got these... Uh, I want you to go ahead and be opening up to Luke chapter 7. You're going to find it on page 52 in the scripture journal. Also, our scriptures that we'll be using today are also available at westernhills.church. And you'll find the scriptures and the discussion study questions will be available there. While you're finding that, I want to talk about a word that many of us, we have a problem with. And for some of you, this may be a word that has kept you away from church for a while. This may be a word that, that you're very suspicious with. And the word is this. Authority. See, that, that's going to show up in these two stories that we look at with Jesus today. But I want to talk about authority just to settle us in. Because for many of us, we've had a bad experience with authority. Therefore, we don't trust authority. I mean, there's nobody jumping up and down saying, yes, I think the government should be trusted with everything, right? This is not the deal where we think authority is always good. And we have different kinds of authority in our lives, don't we? And for some of us, how we've interacted with those different authorities may be the challenge or the problem or we got scarred at one point. You know, you may have had a run-in with the law and, and there was an authority there and maybe you got treated fairly, maybe you didn't get treated fairly, but however it is, it left you with a distaste for authority. Or perhaps, and this is, there's you rent some parenting authority. Anybody ever encounter with that? You know, I, I've decided there's, there's a few seasons that you go through in your life as a parent. Uh, the first season is where you know everything about raising children. That season ends when you have children. And then you go through a season just trying to hang on. And then you hit a season, and this is coming and, and it's enjoyable, when, when you get to recognize that people that are other seasons and what they're going through and you get to laugh because you're no longer in that season. I, I had one of those moments not too long ago at, at HEB and I'm on the cereal aisle trying to pick out, you know, and there's a million different selections. And there was a lady with a cart, and her young toddler son kept grabbing the cereal off the, the shelf and just loading it up with, I think it was just anything that had a pretty colorful you know, picture on the box. And I could tell she was getting more and more frustrated. So I'm, I'm trying not to be amused at her suffering, because that doesn't sound very nice. But I was focused, but I'm listening in closely, and then in only a voice that a mom can generate, right? You know what I'm talking about? She goes, put it back. 
And I did. I put my cereal back. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I put it back on the shelf. Well, this kid wasn't done yet. He didn't have the same response. Apparently, this is maybe the first time he encountered this voice. I don't know. Because he continued to pull him up. And so finally, she grabs him up out of the cart, and he goes into that, that jello mode, you know, no bones, you know, on the, throwing a fit, you know, on the ground. And I could tell mom had reached her limit. So I made my exit off that aisle because I'd put my cereal back like a good boy. And I'd, I moved around. And my only thought as I cur- um, went around the corner was, Jesus, help him. Because I've seen that look before. I grew up with that look. And there was an authority there that you don't want to mess with. Or maybe it's an authority that comes from military. And comes from might and power. For many of you that have served, you understand what that's about. And that's exactly where we start our story today. So if you have your journals, or you have your Bibles, or you've got your Bibles turned on, Luke chapter 7, as we look at Jesus today. I'm going to read, and then I'll make some some comments as we go. Luke tells us this. After he had finished saying, after he finished all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, now a centurion, and this is going to be a Roman soldier with some authority, had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Okay, now, there's a lot of pronouns going on here, so let's stop just for a second. Understand that there is a centurion, and they're in the town of Capernaum. And this centurion is a Roman official, so he's not a Jewish person. Now, immediately you should think that he's going to be on the outside. That the Jews in the area are going to be anti him because they were pretty much anti anything that smacked of Rome. Anything that looked like or reminded them of the oppression that they were under, the occupation that they were experiencing, that they were no longer in charge of their own destiny. Yet this Roman centurion was special because he had endeared himself to the Jewish population there. In fact, he's probably become what we would call a God-fearer, meaning he had not um, fully converted into Judaism, but he had great respect of the God that the Jews worshipped. And so we have this this story of him even um, building them a synagogue, that he built these local uh, Jews their synagogue. And what's incredible about this story that was written so long ago in the Gospel of Luke is that that synagogue you can visit today. I've got a picture up here. This is the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, this is not the structure that he would have built, but this is one of the largest, most preserved synagogues that we have, and it would have come later, but they built this one on top of the one that would have been in Jesus' day. In fact, this is called, they call it, because of the stone that they use for this one, the White Synagogue, and they call it Jesus Synagogue. They've uncovered the foundation of it. I've got a picture of it here. This is the foundation of that synagogue that this Roman centurion would have been the benefactor of, would have been the one that would have so graciously given. And here he is showing up in our story. Just one of those things that, that convinced me all the more of what God's doing and how Jesus is at work and how 
we can trust the Scriptures. And so, because he has endeared himself, the leaders of this area, actually on his behalf, they go to Jesus. Now, I'm not sure why the centurion didn't go to Jesus himself. Maybe perhaps he realized that if I go to this rabbi that I've heard so much good things about, if I go there, I will cause him to be unclean for being a Roman. And so he sends, he asks, he requests his friends to go. And these Jewish leaders, they go, and they basically plead their case, his case on, on his behalf. And they say he is worthy to have done this, and he loves this nation. So picking up again, uh, verse, verse 5 or 6. And Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house. So he doesn't arrive at the house. The centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So Jesus never actually makes it to the house. He's the Jewish leaders, they, they go and request him, and he starts moving that direction, and perhaps the centurion realizes what's going on. So he sends another delegation out, and the second delegation encounters Jesus somewhere on the road and says, Stop, stop, stop. You don't have to come all the way. And then they relay this man's reflections on authority. He says, I know what it's like to have authority. I am set under authority. Do you notice what he says there? He says, and go to verse 8, For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And so as a centurion, he probably had at least a hundred soldiers under his charge. And what he is saying to Jesus, he says, I get authority. This, this is the world that I live in, Jesus. I know authority, and I have men under me that respect my authority. But why do they respect my authority? Because I'm under an authority. Behind me is the power of Rome. If they disobey my commands, if they do not respect my authority, then they have to contend with the power of Rome because I am under the authority of Rome. And I believe what he is saying. He's saying, Jesus, I've seen you at work. I've heard the stories and I've heard about the healings and the teachings that you've given. I see that you have authority and I believe in the authority that you're set under and sees that God is behind and above Jesus. The centurion is saying, behind and above me is the power of Rome, but Jesus behind and above you is the power of God. And he realizes it. And he sees it. And he sees it, and he gives more testimony to it and witness to it than the critics that Jesus is facing at that time. This centurion, this supposed would-be outsider, sees the authority that Jesus comes from under and has at his command. And he sees who's behind him and who's over him. And the centurion is willing to submit to that. So he says, you don't even need to come. All you need to do is give the word. 
I know how this works. You give the word because of the power that you're, that's behind you and above you, you have the authority to do this, and the servant becomes, begins to be healed. Now, now, what's fascinating about this story to me is we know nothing about the faith of the servant. At, at no point does the servant, um, does his faith come into play. And so often we start getting the idea that, that our healing or for Jesus to come and intervene in our lives depends upon how much faith I have. Well, if I had more faith, then God would have done something. And I want to tell you, here's an example we have right in Scripture, and I didn't write the story, Luke is telling the story, that it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the amount of faith. Because here's the centurion reaching out on behalf of his servant and seeking out Jesus. And the centurion, in many ways, is becoming this intermediary. This one seeking out Jesus on his behalf. I think there's an incredible power in that. That the servant, who, again, we don't even know his name. We don't know uh, what his faith was like. We don't even know if he believed in Jesus or in the God that Jesus comes from. We just know that the centurion did. And he's reaching out in his faith and he's interceding. And then the servant gets to experience a healing because. So here's a takeaway that I want you to have from this. Through prayer, you can seek Jesus on behalf of someone else. Through prayer, you can seek Jesus on behalf of someone else. And it's not determined by amount of faith they have. You don't have to get their permission you don't have to get their blessing. You don't have to get their A-OK with it. You can pray for them. And guess what? There's nothing they can do about it. How about that? They can be your friend. They can be your enemy. And you can be like the centurion. You can intercede on their behalf. And you can bring prayer to Jesus' attention. Not that he's forgotten about them. But just like the centurion, you're the one saying, I'm going to hold this one before you. I'm going to be diligent with this one. I'm going to be faithful with this. And it may be prayers for, for a loved one, for a child of yours that doesn't seem to have faith. Your faith, your prayers can be sustaining in that moment. And on behalf of someone else. I, I'm reminded of this every week. I have so many of you that will walk through the door and you shake my hand out front and you'll tell me, hey, I pray for you. I pray for you every day. I pray for you on Sunday mornings before you speak. I pray for you. And I just know that there are times that I don't feel up for the task, but your prayers are sustaining. And your prayers are powerful because you're submitting them to one who has the authority to do something about it. The second story is this. And it has to do with authority also. And I want you to, as best you can, climb into this story with your imagination. Verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The, son, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, I, I can't imagine 
a more dramatic scene than this. Because funerals still mean something to us today. There's emotion there. And in fact, one of the things that you need to know about this story is, is even as emotionally wrapped up as we are in funerals today and, and there's struggle and there's grief and, and there's anguish oftentimes, this would have been a far more dramatic scene because included in here in this crowd that was falling, there would have been what was known as professional mourners. And professional mourners are there as they walk along this long journey to the place where the burial is going to be. They were there to cry out, to weep, and they were there to make noise about it. And part of this was a kindness, because we're a little different today, and we expect some tears at funerals, but if one person is weeping, sobbing uncontrollably, we get uncomfortable, don't we? That's kind of a reaction we have now, but so they would have folks that were professional mourners, and they're weeping and they're crying out, and what they're doing, they're providing a kindness and a grace because they're there to cover the mother's crying and weeping and her anguish and allow her to not feel like she's the spectacle, but she's in a community of people walking along. And so this would have been a very noisy funeral procession. And it would have walked along bit by bit by bit. And you talk about a long walk that would have seemed like. And here's this pain, this anguish. And in the middle of it is death. In the middle of the one that had been breathing before and no longer breathed. The one whose heart had been pumping and no longer pumped. And I wonder... How long ago her husband had been buried? I I wonder if they were walking out to the very same spot again. And perhaps at that moment she could have leaned on her son. And now she no longer has her son to lean on. And her future looks incredibly stark. Because her son would have been her retirement plan. Would have been her care in her old age. And now without a husband, without a son, all that seems up for grabs. And so she's weeping not only for the loss of a loved one, but the loss of her own future. The loss of her own security, the loss of her own hope in the middle of that. And here comes this funeral procession. You know, there's something powerful about funeral processions, and even in our world today, as one that participates in many funerals, I'm reminded of this every time, because following the funeral and moving towards the graveside, I'll ride in the front car with the funeral director. And it's a custom, especially in this area, for when an approaching car see the funeral coming, they will pull over to the side and they'll turn their lights on. And I've even seen some, some men get out of their cars and stand at attention. And why do we do this? It's out of respect. And because we know this, death has the right of way. You can't stop death. And so here's this funeral procession coming. As they come, Jesus and his crowd, they walk not to the side where it would have been nice and courteous. Jesus walks in and he has the audacity to interrupt this funeral procession. So look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Now I'm just pause just there, just to make one point. When 
Jesus looks at you, it's not a bland, unresponsive emotion that he feels. When Jesus looks, and look at this moment, Jesus looked on this moment and he responded with an emotion, with a feeling, and he had compassion with her. God and Jesus, they're not somehow set apart and away and disconnected from your situation. So whether it's her or whether it's looking at you, they look with an emotion, and the, the emotion is always in Scripture, it's this compassion that he has, this longing for her. And so he sees her in this moment, and he has compassion to her. And then, just at the moment where everybody thinks he's going to say some consoling words, Jesus starts turning it into a weird, awkward moment. Because look what he says next. He saw her, he had compassion, he said, do not weep. Now, I want to take a lot of cues for my ministry from Jesus. This is not one of them. I have never felt the need to walk into a funeral situation and go, hey, stop the crying. Just put the Kleenexes down. But see, Jesus shows up and death no longer has the right of way. Because look what he does. He came up and he touched the beer. And the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And then if you want to circle of scripture, circle 15. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Verse 16. Fear sees them all. Yes, of course. Picture the guys holding the stretcher still. And they glorified him, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. Death, when Jesus shows up, death that is so scary to you and me, death that seems so mysterious, it seems like the great beyond, the one that's going to rob all of our joy, the one that we know in the back of our heads all of our life seems like it's rushing to that moment of death. The one that for some comes way too early, way too soon, way too tragic. Death. Jesus does not give it the right of way. He steps into the very middle of it, speaks to the man, says, Young man, rise up. And he gives him back to his mother. What a powerful scene. This scripture connects with me in a very powerful way. Because five years ago, my mom passed away. My mom died on March 8th, on a Sunday. March 15th, the next Sunday, was my birthday. March 22nd, the next Sunday, was the birthday of my twins, Cutter and Cooper. About two weeks after that, the Sunday was Easter Sunday. It was very important to me to want to be back in the pulpit and preach again on Easter Sunday. This is the scripture that I shared on that Sunday. So I've been reliving that week in many ways, this message 
this week as I have thought about and prepared for this. And the thing that there's something that I want you to, as we look at Jesus and come to understand better and more clearly who He is, and we understand this Jesus that steps into the midst of our world and is willing to interrupt a funeral procession. This interrupt to speak, dare speak to death and challenge its authority and ultimately show His authority over this is that Jesus is in the very business of turning funeral processions into Easter parades. And that's what I want you to take away. Jesus, when He shows up, whatever it is in your life and in my life, in the midst of all that, all whatever is dark, whatever is bitter, whatever is sour, whatever you are ashamed of, whatever you regret, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're challenged by right now, Jesus can show up in the middle of that and He can turn that procession, that death march, whatever it is, into an Easter parade because He brings life. Because that's who He is. And all that Luke is doing is he's setting us up for the end of the story, isn't he? He's, he's given us a foretaste of what's about to come. He's given us a foreshadowing, given us the clues. Because there's going to come a day where Jesus is led out and placed in his own tomb. And his lifeless, dead body is there. But that tomb, that grave is only going to hold him for three days. I mean, it's a borrowed tomb in every sense of the word. And then on Easter morning, he flips it all around again. And in many ways, he shows up to give you back what you had hoped for all along. And what God wants to give you and provide for you. So just a few questions, a few takeaways for you as you wrestle with this this week. As you try to live out of these, these scriptures, this story of as we see Luke. First one's this. Thinking about the centurion and his role. Who needs for you to go to Jesus on their behalf? Who's in your circle of influence? Who's in your family? Who's in your workplace? Who's at your school? Who's in your third period class? Who's in relationship somehow with you? And they may or they may not have a faith. They may be strong. They may be weak. Whatever it is, you can be the one like the centurion and goes and seeks Jesus on their behalf. Who is that for you? Or maybe... You're more like the woman, the widow. And you need this question for you. Where do you need Jesus to show up and turn your funeral procession into an Easter parade? Where does that need to happen in your life? Because it can. Because that's what Jesus does. Death no longer has the right of way. Because he is... The one that has all authority placed under him. Let me pray for us. Father, our, we struggle with authority. And Jesus shows up and it seems that you have given him authority over healing, over sickness, over nature. Father, And even over death. So Father I pray that we would give him authority over our lives. 
that we would see that he is under you and you're behind and over him, Father, and we recognize that's all it takes. And like the centurion say, you have the authority to make this happen. So, Father, I pray. I pray for anyone here that is wrestling with this message and, and they're in the middle of a death march right now. Whether it be disease or a divorce or a struggle or a brokenness or there's a, there's a family situation going on, there's a financial situation going on, Father. Whatever it is, that you, would you step into that? And would you bring life once again into that and bring the hope of the resurrection to that, Father? Father, would you help us to be people in this neighborhood, in this area, that we would live out this one, that we would live as one that recognizes your authority, that recognizes your, your power, and as people that believe in it, that know that you're in the midst of transforming things from hopeless to hope, from despair to grace. And that we would see and we would emulate that for all around. Father, for anybody that this is landing in their heart and they're thinking, but can it be true for me? That you would show them this week in a very tangible way. That when you look down you see it's compassion that you have. Not disdain. Not embarrassment. Not regret, but compassion. May you help them to sense that in a powerful way. Father, I ask all this in the name of the one that gives us back our hope. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.